As I'm recording this intro, we're smack dab in the middle of making sense of a huge market research project in the healthcare space. This entire interview is going to be based around healthcare. We're sorting through answers from well over 60 executives in the healthcare and artificial intelligence domain, people who run companies or who run the AI branch of companies uh, that are focusing on solving healthcare problems, whether that's financial, diagnostic, etc. Lots and lots and lots of complaints about the data being difficult to access. There's certainly a lot of barriers in the healthcare space from the side of businesses trying to sell into that domain, there's frustrations, and from the side of people who work in healthcare aiming to innovate, aiming to leverage the most useful, new, fruitful technologies. There's frustrations on both sides of that dynamic that are really tough to find at the same level of grit in really any other industry that I can think of. Probably the last domain I would go into if I started an AI company. But in this episode of the Tech Emergence Podcast, we have two folks who've decided to do just that. We have the mutual founders of Remedy Health, Will Jack and Nikhil Baduma. One graduated from MIT, one dropped out, both moved to San Fran. Sounds pretty familiar to what the beginning of a startup looks like. And really, what we focus the majority of this interview on are the deep dive concerns about how data is collected, set up, and structured in healthcare that makes things challenging for A, companies to sell into that space and help the healthcare industry sort of develop itself and, and sort of take a level up on the technology side, as well as all the problems that help the healthcare folks with the best of intentions, the factors that prevent them from really innovating thoroughly as well. These are two gentlemen who've spent the last two years or so really throwing themselves at this problem in a big, big way in terms of collecting, collating, making sense of data. And they have some interesting hypotheses around how the industry will develop in the next five years. Some of these are not friendly for some of you who work in healthcare. Some of these should be insightful for those of you who are aiming to sell into healthcare. So uh, I hope that this interview comes across as insightful. Without further ado, Will and Nikhil with Remedy Health. So, gentlemen, in hearing Will's talk earlier in the conference today, you had mentioned a lot of the persistent problems with healthcare data. Something about persistent biases, how people put the data in, about the systems being old and being sort of rigid. Talk about, in your immersion in this space, both of you folks, what have been sort of these inherent hardcore issues with healthcare yeah. data? So, I mean, really, it's a question of where do you want to start? Oh, man. <laughs> there are a lot of different ones. So I think that, you know, there are a couple that really come and smack us in the face when we start, you know, working with healthcare data. One major one is that most of the data associated with the diagnostic thought process, essentially collecting information that actually informs diagnosis, should ideally be recorded in kind of a physician's notes in the medical record. Let's say if I come in with a cough and a variety of other symptoms, ideally the physician would go and take very thorough, good notes in a consistent manner like in the medical record about the symptoms I'm having, which could then you know, be later associated with a uh, diagnosis and a treatment plan and then later on you know, associated with how successful that was. For one, people aren't necessarily consistent in what information they record in a medical record. They're not consistent in the manner in which they record it. Oftentimes, they're biased in what information they'll leave in versus what they leave out. It's just not a complete picture of care most of the time. Um, the medical record might be a phenomenal record for a lot of diagnostic testing you've had in the past, but for the conversation between a patient and the doctor, which is oftentimes the meat of what drives a diagnosis, yeah. it's completely and totally just gone. That's one major one. And then we can talk about more like 
Can we dive into that yeah. if you don't mind? Sure. Uh, I, I think this is a really important one because I think the analogy that popped off in my mind, you guys let me know if we're on the same page here, is it reminds me a little bit of like salespeople and CRM systems. In the old days, the sales guy, you know, take a call or whatever. If he didn't have a piece of paper, just write it on his arm, whatever info he wanted to remember to contact this guy. And there was no big database to put this, right? It was a bunch of dudes with notepads and ink on their arms and, and they, you know, were just making calls. Eventually, sales organizations really developed firm systems and much more robust kind of calibrated CRMs to monitor all these relationships. And then it became really important. Like, guys, 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 we have to stop doing the notepad thing. Like, you have to put it in and you have to do it consistently. Otherwise, we're not going to know what's up with our clients. Sounds like physicians, kind of a similar domain, obviously a more slow moving world. Is that the same kind of mind shift? Yes. But the thing is, um, the salesperson is generally happy to do that because they see that moving to the new system makes them more money right yeah, away. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And like yeah, that's yeah. kind of the core Incentives, driver. Yeah. There's an incentive. Oh, if you if you tell the doctors like, okay, you got to record everything like super methodically right now. They're spending all their time typing into an electronic medical record, not actually talking to the patient. It's really annoying. It's really, really annoying. Yeah. Uh, that option like that. So, you know, this is one of the reasons we do telemedicine. This is phenomenal yep, medium yep, for yep, capturing yep. data. To, I mean, to, to add to that too, think about from your perspective as a patient, if you realize that the reason you're paying so much money for your care is because this highly educated doctor in front of you is spending all their time just entering information into a medical record and you're paying for all that time, that's not a great situation either, right? So in reality, the doctor is highly underutilized even if they do spend that time recording that information in a detailed fashion. So the goal is if we can find some mechanism for automated technologies to do that without wasting the doctor's time, that's sort of the goldmine, right? It's interesting because uh, this is the perennial issue in healthcare, isn't it? It's figuring out who's the customer and how do we incentivize people to do stuff here? Is it the hospital? Is it the doctor? Is it the guy who owns the hospital? Is it like the hospital chain? Is it the consumer? Who's incentivizing who to do stuff? And obviously, you guys are trying to crack that nut with your own method. I get the point that convincing them to take the time, less of a tougher sell than it is for the sales guy, I guess. So that's one issue. Yeah. And I, I think that really the, the solution we've come to, uh, to Nikhil's point earlier, is just like if we can, you know, somehow seamlessly capture that using AI, capture the relevant data in a highly structured, thorough, repetitive, granular method, we remove that burden from the physician. The yep. physician is happier. We save the patient money and we get the kind of data we need to do the fun, exciting, game changing, like, you know, machine learning work. Yep. Without, especially into the future. Without needing people to learn some specific syntax and take 10 minutes after every yeah. single sit down to, right. to do that, which would be terribly annoying. This is a real problem for doctors today. You know, doctors are dropping out of medicine faster than they ever have before. They've mm. got the second highest rate of suicide of any major profession. I, th- uh, I heard that about dentists anecdotally, but I, I didn't know this <laughs> yeah, about just it's, doctors. It's really, 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 really. Is it the uh, student debt? What's the deal? I think the big piece is <laughs> you spend 10 years of your life going through the educational process with the goal and hope of being able to help people. And you realize on the other end, you're not that much more than a glorified form filler. And that's a really depressing reality for a lot of general practitioners. Yeah. Wow. Um, so we think that if we can you know, step in and solve that problem initially in telemedicine and then in the future beyond that, we're going to be making a better healthcare system for all parties involved. Curious, curious to understand the mentality of a doctor as well. I guess part of the stuff you guys have to understand to to build a business you're building. I cut you off initially to dive into that problem of data entry, which is obviously part of the the nut you guys are trying to crack. Other problems with healthcare data at large. Obviously, MRIs came around before Hadoop clusters came around. So (laughs) a lot of this stuff is trapped in weird places. What are some of the other pervasive issues that really keep us from leveraging healthcare data in an effective way? 
I can talk a little bit about that. Let's and go I, for it. I think one of the core problems that ends up happening is that the people who understand the kinds of information that need to be captured are doctors. And yet hospitals and healthcare systems as a whole don't own or write their own data management software. Instead, what ends up happening is it's outsourced. It's outsourced in a multi-year, multi-million dollar contract with a third party that really doesn't have a good understanding of how that data ought to be captured and how we ought to extend those data models to add new use cases to the system. Because what ends up happening today is you have some system that's implemented, implemented by somebody who really doesn't understand medicine at all. And then two years later, doctors realize that we have to add another use case into it. And suddenly changing that underlying data system to add this new use case makes over time the system incredibly, incredibly complex. And the result is a health system here at Stanford may have a completely different architecture than a health system over at Kaiser. And a doctor may try to understand how the data is stored but there's so much technical jargon and it's so disjointed all over the place. And one system may not even store data in a way that can talk to another system that even internal communication between doctors may be massively hindered. And because they have no internal expertise as to how to architect these systems in the first place, Will oftentimes likes to use this analogy of it's a massive ball of yarn mixed with a Jenga tower. They're afraid to move any one piece because they're afraid that if they move anything, everything's going to fall tumbling to the and ground. all the pieces are interconnected like a jumble ball, ball of yarn. This is its own concern that it'll be interesting to dive into just a bit because I know you guys have, again, hit this one head on. It sounds to me like a Frankenstein kind of circumstance, right? Go ahead. Well, it's say. like a Frankenstein, except like nobody intended it to be this way. Frankenstein was at least engineered. This just happened. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. So it's like, yeah, Frankenstein, but like not even put together like a person is just like a garbled bunch of arms <laughs> and like weird. Yeah, and an unintentional Frankenstein, which is significantly worse than an intentional Frankenstein. They're both pretty bad. There's a term for this in software that's going over my head. I was talking to some developer the from Kluge. Facebook. Uh, the kludge, I'm, I'm familiar with the term. Someone says like, Janky is a term people use, but just like completely bubblegum duct tape style. And this is software at, at large, especially internal software, right? You're not selling it and you don't have to like really make it streamlined for all the users, right? This is for inside. So you're not really maybe as concerned with that streamlining. It's like, oh, well, let's just patch this. Let's just patch that. And it seems like those patchings build these yarn jengas that we'll never be able to really talk to each other. We'll never be able to really relate the data in these different isolated silos. The resolving of that problem seems rather difficult. Is is this an inevitable process of healthcare systems eventually finding and, and setting aside two, three-year projects to strip stuff out of these ridiculous monsters and put them into more organized systems? Is that is that an inevitable transition for almost all major healthcare companies um, or, or do you think it's going to stay janky? In, in a really ideal world where people um, you know, are forward-thinking and disciplined about this sort of stuff, I think it would be inevitable. Unfortunately, we don't live in that sort of a world. This idea of systems getting jumbled up and inefficient and becoming kludges is not unique to healthcare. If you looked at oh, no. like at almost any no, any industry, this happens. And what it allows you know somebody to do is step in as a very efficient, lightweight, high quality, vertically integrated player, and essentially scale out and become the new system. I think systems don't often undergo rebirths like this. Innovation rarely happens from within. It's usually a party stepping in from the outside. And I don't think healthcare systems are going to be able to dig themselves out of this current hole they're in. It would be exceptionally expensive. It would probably incur a lot of downtime. If you have multiple players trying to do this, it would be very difficult to agree on a common set of standards yeah. or protocols. It's a total mess. 
And that's, you know, basically why we exist and why we as a company are doing what we're doing. And we want to be the next certain, healthcare system. Certainly a competitive space too. Obviously, there's a lot of people that see that opportunity or are able to, uh, to dive in, as you had said, the analogy maybe to what you were talking about is like Salesforce. I'm sure at some point everybody had some locally based jangle box of way that they manage relationships. And then there was like, this is the cloud and it works real well and you can use it on your laptop. And new companies to start up just started with Salesforce and nothing else, no jangle. And then a lot of people who were jangly, they had to move into Salesforce. And then they're kind of like the mamma jamma in that, in that world yeah. now, right? Yeah. Big, big multi-billion dollar company. It sounds like your own supposition is that there will be a similar sort of disruption in healthcare, there will be a, a company that does it better and possibly starts to kind of own that data management yeah. uh, in this space. How, however, I think it's very difficult if you look at kind of the sales cycle and integration cycle of existing healthcare systems with the amount of data and lack of unification of data in a healthcare system is drastically larger than a sales organization. Salesforce is able to step in and rip and replace everybody's software. I think that when you look at healthcare, the software is so baked into the current system, it's going to be difficult to rip and replace the software in the existing system. I think we just have to build a new system. Huh. So cu curiously enough, are you guys have the supposition that this kludge problem, which exists presumably within a whole bunch of organizations, and again, not all that dissimilar from any kind of internal software that just gets patched and built as you go, that really these things will just eventually be slowly abandoned as new, lean, really integrated intelligence systems sort of are, are kind of built from the ground up. So we're not going to be able to dump the stuff from the kludge into the new bucket. We're just going to have to kind of build from here and have it make freaking sense and eventually just eventually fade out the old yeah. abandoned Frankenstein. You I, think that's the transition? I think that's the transition. Huh. And I think tackling this problem is difficult because it requires a key understanding of both the kinds of information that these systems ought to store. So it requires a lot of medical expertise, but it also means that you have to marry that medical expertise with a strong understanding of how you build these data systems in the first place. And I think part of the reason why it's been so difficult or why it's taken so long for us to see innovation in this space is because that breed of people who understand both together very effectively <laughs> yeah. is almost nil. But I think that's changing. And I think that's what's exciting about this. We've had massive innovations in how we build graph-based data systems that are extensible, but also flexible and powerful enough to describe the whole complexity of the kinds of medical information that a health system ought to record. We're starting to see massive innovations in machine learning that if we assume that we structure our data in, a, in an appropriate way, we can then deploy seamlessly at the front lines of care. But the thing is, it's very hard to try to create this system incrementally. In an old one, yeah. you have to actually say, from first principles, this is how the design ought to be. And we're going to craft a very clear path, a crystal clear vision of how we build that from the ground up. And so that's really what it's going to take at the end of the day. Huh, yeah. So maybe we'll go into this as kind of our last little question for our last five minutes or so. We'll talk about what's going to be required for this new paradigm. Obviously, this is going to be a competitive space. We definitely like to talk about industry trends for the audience, but also sort of business models. You know, who's going to be the winner based on what in this space, right? That's a very interesting thing for the investors and business folks tuned in. It sounds like being able to compete and be the de facto place and space where healthcare folks store their data and information, whether it's a hospital or a healthcare facility of some kind, you know, we use a Salesforce analogy roughly. That's, that's sort of one piece of it. The other piece of it maybe is who owns the big proprietary 
data set. I would presume this is kind of what the Watsony folks are aiming to crack at, right? They've got some of these, and 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 uh, all startups hate Watson. So I, I, you know, I will expect you guys to have the same attitude as every small company I've ever talked to. We've done some interviews with them. I don't know them well enough or understand their healthcare technology well enough to judge at this point. But I would presume that they're trying to get some lock in with big hospital chains and, and be able to have so much oncology medical imaging stuff that they can just crack it better than anybody else, right? That would be their their approach as well. So do you see it as kind of being the system where everybody enters their data? Do you see it as being the owners of the most proprietary data, like, you know, like Facebook does in social or Google does for search or Amazon does for e-com? What are we really competing on for the big game here? I think IBM definitely does a very different view of how to take on the market than we do, right? And they're trying to make the huge business development play. And I think our perspective is very distinct in that we're trying to be the best place for somebody to come in for their healthcare at the end of the day, right? Because at the end of the day, a good business model understands what the consumer wants. And today, the consumer does not pick Kaiser over Sutter Health because they think Kaiser has a slightly better patient portal. They pick Kaiser over Sutter Health because they like their Kaiser doctor. And for the same reason, we have to be building a healthcare system where People feel like they're getting incredible care from incredible doctors. And that's where it starts. Um, and convenience as well with your model, right? I mean, that's kind yeah. of part of the goal. I mean, I, I don't go to a dentist because I don't have time, right? Like, I just don't. Yeah. Like, screw it. I'll lose yeah. all my teeth. I'm gonna, <laughs> I, I got to work. I'd love to be like, yeah, doc, yeah tell me what's up. Like, ah, you know, like hold my phone <laughs> in my mouth and stuff. Like, I, I pay money for that like tomorrow. So that's part of the business model too, right? Yeah. Well, you know, it's not just, yes, there's a data play here. Yes, there's a play associated with you know streamlining everything, people keeping people happy. But the fact of the matter is that owning this sort of data and and allowing for this new kind of care just it's it's like a step function change of the quality of care we can provide on the access front. You know, to your point of being able to yep. just pull out your phone on the affordability front because we're saving doctors so much time, we bring down the cost of providing care, and then on the quality front because we're being more thorough, more exhaustive, and using data to provide better care. And if we can do all of these things in our system, like, you know, why don't we just build the system? Why do we sell it to other people? If we think we can provide the best care in the world because we leverage these advantages, we should do that. And I think Nikhil's point really stands uh, that at the end of the day, it's what the patient wants. It's what's best for the patient. And you know, to an extent, the, the doctors in our system as well. I honestly don't think if we just went out and sold our software to other people, that the benefits that our software, our way of doing things could provide would actually be realized nearly as well as we can do it if we just do it ourselves. Maybe there is the you know Salesforce equivalent coming in. Maybe there is the owner of all the proprietary data coming in. But maybe what you're getting at is there is a way to kind of not sell the technology, but just sell the result in terms of what people actually want and just be the place that does that service in a scalable way yeah. better than anybody, right? So th- there's that model as well. Sounds like that's obviously the angle you guys have taken here. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and that's curious because, yeah, it's so interesting in this space, like how is this dinosaur going to be reborn? How are the fossils going to like harden and then birth, so, you know, like yeah, what the hell? Yeah, di- dinosaurs, they haven't been revived yet and they probably won't be, you know. Sweet but hu- but humans be, came about Jurassic though, Park. you know. <laughs> yeah. Humans came after dinosaurs and humans are pretty cool. Yeah, so we're, yeah. we're trying to, you know, be the new species, not just provide the old one. Yeah. The the species after humans will definitely be a separate podcast at some point. Uh, <laughs> certainly an ethically consequential one that I think about a lot myself. But either way, we got into a lot of insight here, guys. I hope that the folks tuned in learned a lot about sort of the perspective on the space and the future of this space. I really appreciate you guys joining me today. Thanks so much. Sweet. Thank you. Thank you. It's a real pleasure.
that wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence Podcast, and thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives and top researchers and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com, where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category, as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes, or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in, and I'll catch you next week.